Praise the Lord. All right. Let's turn with me to um, Proverbs 11. Our theme verse for the year. Uh, let us recite that together in one voice. Together. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord is faithful. Amen. All right. Um, in this tumultuous time, in the midst of such turmoil, we are called to thrive in the Lord. And you might ask, how is it possible? If God is with us, who can be against us? And if God promises us that He is with us, then we shall not just survive, but we shall thrive this year. Amen. More specifically, there are four ways for us to thrive in the Lord. First, we must believe as we seek the very presence of Christ. And we have a privilege to seek His presence as the Holy Spirit residing in all the believers of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we must learn to depend on the power of Christ. It's not that we ourselves can somehow thrive with our own ability or skills or um, power, but it must be the power of the Holy Spirit exerting helping and, and leading and guiding within, our, within us so that we'll be able to learn how to thrive in this year. Thirdly, we need to obey the principle of Christ, uh, which today we will be uh, focusing on. Also, we need to learn to enjoy the providence of Christ. And those four ways uh, we are going to uh, do in order for us to thrive this year. And as we delve into those four ways, one by one, uh, for last two weeks, um, we have studied what it means to activate our faith as we seek the presence of Christ and how to depend on the power of Christ. Today, we'll focus on what it means to obey the third point, third ways, obey the principles of Christ. In order for us to thrive in our faith as we depend on the power of Christ, we must learn to simply obey the principle of Christ. What does he mean by the principles of Christ? It's, it is simply the way of life according to the Word of God. Because His ways is perfect. The Lord's Word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him according to Psalm 1830. His way is perfect. His word is flawless, says, and you will help us in the times of trouble to seek the path of righteousness. And therefore, we need to learn to uh, obey the, the word of God, the principle of God. Amen. The Bible is the final authority for all things, as we know, and the means by which God provides principles for living in a way that protects from harmful thinking and behavior. Scripture clearly teaches us how Christians are to live. And in light of the wonderful gift of salvation, 
We are to live our lives in active pursuit of a lifestyle that keeps us pure and clean before God and pleasing to God with careful attention to avoiding anything that distracts from our relationship with Christ. And in order for us to do that, the Word of God is central to our faith. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Some other translation says, All the Scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, the people of God, may be thoroughly completely equipped for every good work. So we need to think about the Word of God and how we must obey the Word of God, the principles of Christ. Three suggestions that I will give you. First, as we know that the Scripture is God-breathed, if we are to obey the principles of Christ, in the Word of God, notice that we can trust God's Word to be true. Second Timothy says, all Scripture is God-breathed. What does it mean? Paul uses the Greek word uh, God-breathed here. God ex exhale to describe the nature of Scripture. God's Word is like God's breath. That's the uh, expression here. The word is, uh, has the meaning of uh, that the God, just like God is so unique and transcendent being, the word of God is also very unique. As a matter of fact, this word God breathe uh, is only used once in the entire Bible. That means that as God's word, like God himself, is very unique, God is eternal and his word stands forever. That's why Isaiah 48 says, and God does not change and his word does not change, therefore. And because it comes from God, who himself is truth, the word of God is true. So we can trust God's word to be true. As the old scripture is God-breathed, and therefore we must follow its principle in obedience. If you look at Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth. Everything, the word of God as entirety, is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 28 says, Now, O Lord God, you are God, your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant. John 17, 17 says, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth, and your word is truth. That means Jesus was praying that, that we shall be sanctified by the word of God. We know, my brothers and sisters, that we can trust God's word to be true. Amen. Because it's the word of God. Secondly, as all scripture is profitable 
for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, we can trust God's Word to be profitable. Profitable. Paul says that God's Word is not only trustworthy, but also profitable. What kind of profit does God's Word bring? Well, if I just simplify that, answer is life. The righteous life. The God's, God's Word is profitable for teaching what is right, rebuking what is not right, and correcting how to get right, and training how to stay right. So God's Word is profitable as it teaches us the life of righteousness. God's Word is profitable for what is right and uh, profitable for teaching what is right, rebuking what is not right, correcting how to get right, and training how to stay right. How is it possible? Because the Word of God is the power of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's the power of God. Power of, power of the Word of God is something beyond our imagination. Meditate upon it for now. No wonder Jesus was described as the Word incarnate. If you look at John chapter 1, he says, especially verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on, verse 8, he says, The Word became flesh. That is Jesus Christ. So, we can completely trust God's Word to be profitable, powerful. Amen. It can change you. A lot of us, we want to be changed. We struggle with sins in our flesh. And it's ever-ending, never-ending struggle, I understand. We have a habitual sins in our lives. We have new sins coming into our lives through temptation, and sometimes it's very, very difficult for us to fight against such force. Well, the Bible is clear. The Word of God is living and active. It's powerful than any other things in this world. It can penetrate even to dividing soul and spirits. Joints and marrow, it affects not only spiritual, uh, our spirit, it affects our physical being as well. It affects every aspect of our lives. That is the power of the Word of God. Believe it and study it. Meditate on it. It's profitable for the righteous life. It will change us, transform us from the inside out as the Holy Spirit uses God's Word to transform us. And that transformation is all about Christian life, a new life. That's why Paul says, in Christ Jesus, we are new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that recreation, that the creation power of God can be experienced through the Word of God in the Holy Spirit daily, 
in our lives as we are God's people in Christ. Imagine that. The Word of God is powerful and it is profitable. Thirdly, about the Word of God, we can trust God's Word to be empowering. Empowering. Verse 17 says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly, or sometimes you can, you can use the word completely equipped for every good work. Paul says the word of God's bringing about this prophet in our lives serves as a purpose. And that purpose is to ensure that the man of God, the woman of God, is both complete and equipped. Completely equipped. Think about those two words, both of those words, completely equipped, thoroughly equipped, meaning lacking not, lacking that is needed, nothing, uh, lacking nothing that is needed. So that's the idea that the God is going to prepare us through God's Word thoroughly and completely so that you will not lack anything when you seek God's kingdom and His righteousness, when you serve God. When you live your life. For every good work, not for every your own desire. Some people take this and say, you see, the word of God is powerful. It's going to bless us. It's going to equip us so that we can be rich. We can be well. No, no, no. For every good work that you will do in your life, God will equip you completely and you will, God will use your life to bless other people. And that's the point. That's the purpose. And as the follower of Jesus Christ, perhaps our greatest good work for which God equips us is to what? Obey the command of Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, we call it Great Commission. To make disciples of all peoples, all nations, all ethnicities. This command sums up everything for the purpose of our being. Why are we being saved? Oh, yes, so that we can have life in Christ. Yes, we have this personal relationship with Christ. And that is the basis of our faith. But also... God saves us so that God will use us to expand His kingdom, that we can become a partner of the kingdom of God. A lot of times, uh, we only focus on the personal relationship with Christ, which is the, the beginning and the, the, the foundation of our faith, yes. Between you and God, God has saved you from sin and death, and now you have relationship with Christ as God's sons and daughters in Christ Jesus, and He will bless you as our Heavenly Father. Amen. But don't forget, as Jesus was giving us clear commission, that you are not just saved so that you yourself can have great life and have great destiny, but also God says, I'm calling you to be my kingdom partner for my glory. For that, we shall suffer. We shall even suffer for that purpose. Amen. We have to be very clear about that. So we are not called only for the personal relationship, but also kingdom partnership. And every good work, I think the greatest thing about every good work must be revolved around the kingdom partnership 
in your life, meaning God's calling in your life. What is God's calling in your life? Think about that. What is your ministry? By the way, the ministry of the kingdom is not only for the preachers or ministers or pastors or evangelists or apologists. No, it's for all Christians. That command in Matthew chapter 28 was not only for a particular group of people. It was for all the believers to come. Meaning this word, this commission applies to you and me, every Christian in this world. Whether you just became a Christian today, that you are a baby Christian, you're just starting to understand that you have a relationship with Christ, that word still applies that to you. Apply that to you. Amen. So think about that for a second. And the Word of God is powerful enough to equip you completely, not lacking anything, so that you will be able to do what you are called to do for every good work of the kingdom work of God. Amen. God's Word is powerful and it's empowering. It empowers us. Think about the Disciples of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, there was, most of them were not educated. They were not, they were yeah, not educated. They're fishermen, most of them were, as we know. They didn't even know how to write well. As a matter of fact, if you know Apostle Peter, the famous Peter, the, the disciple, number one disciple of Jesus Christ, he, he needed help to write uh, the, the first Peter and second Peter. Um, and he had a limited education. But what, what was the astounding thing was that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ they have experienced, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with such an authority and power that no one could stand against them. That's why the authority of the, uh, the religious group during that time, they, couldn't, they were astonished. That these, these, these people, uneducated, seemingly small in the eyes of the world, outcast people, fully transformed, speaking with such a power and authority that so many people were converting to Christianity. They couldn't believe it. What was the difference? Well, the Holy Spirit was equipping them. The Word of God was equipping them to do greater things than they could ever done on their own. The Word of God empowers us. And especially, we'll talk about this, but if you really want to thrive, it's not going to be done by your own power. You need to be empowered by God. As we talked about it last week, we need to depend on the power of God. How do we depend on the power of God? We need to depend on the Word of God that is empowering. Depend on the Word of God. Holding on to the promise of God. As God's Word is true, profitable, and empowering, we must simply obey God's Word and principles if we really want to thrive. So in a way, you and I have a choice. Again, isn't it an incredible thing that God still gives us a choice because it's a mutual relationship. He doesn't force us. He doesn't force us, but He invites us. And He reasons with us. 
He persuades us. And it is my prayer that you be persuaded by, not my words, not by my words, but the, by the power of the Word of God in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Knowing that we must simply obey God's Word, as God's Word is true, profitable, and empowering, we need to obey. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, we all know this phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Simple obedience is better than all kinds of crazy, extraordinary services that you do for, the, for God. That's my translation. Though true obedience is better than all the services that you lifted up to God. Simple obedience, I mean. So obedience is the proper response to the Word of God because we trust in God's Word. Let's expound upon that. We know that the Word of God is true, profitable, and empowering. And we know that we must obey God. And the obedience is the pro only proper response to that. Let's turn to James chapter 21, one, verse, chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, and we will see how we should respond to God's Word. It says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the Word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the Word, but so, and so deceive yourselves. Do what He says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what he says is like a someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at it, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, which is the word of God, the principle of Christ, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. My translation they will thrive in what they do. Three things, three responses. As we trust that God's word is true, and if you trust that God's word is true, as I made that point in the beginning, those three points about God's word, our obedience begins with humbly accepting God's word. I want to use the James, I want to use the James's version or expression, humbly accepting the God's Word. Verse 21, James chapter 1, it says what? Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Talks about nowadays. Moral filth. More, uh, and an evil that is so implanted in our culture, in our, in our society, in our world today. So anti-Bible, all the narratives that are coming from the world today, you listen to it very carefully, is very anti-Bible, anti-God. That is so prevalent. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. If we trust that God's word is true, we must humbly accept the word of God. Meaning, 
we need to accept it without any compromise. As it is. Nowadays, we try to use God's word to justify our own narratives or our own desires. People do that, and people will do it even more. By the way, people have been doing that for many, many, many times. And then the extreme cases are probably the cults that you will see throughout the history. That's distorting the Bible, the word of God, adds, subtract, subtract, subtract whatever that you do to the word, and, and what? so that you will be able to justify your own doing, what you're doing, your own desire, or your own belief, idea, I, I, uh, or ideology, or something, whatever. People do that. All our Christians do that. We are tempted to do so. Oh, I know the Lord. Certain things we cannot do. The Bible is very clear about it. But nowadays, these issues are very sensitive. But don't just focus on that too much. Why do we always have to talk about the issue of certain you know, social issues that is so hot and sensitive? Can we just stay away so that we can somehow effectively, uh, easily, I should say not effectively, easily reach out and communicate the gospel and the love of Christ? Yes, it is very important that we should communicate the gospel as it is. And we need to love everyone. We need to love. Uh, we have to expand our love, extend our love to everyone around us as possible. But not, but without compromising the word of God. And I know that the top issues, especially social issues like abortions, sexual orientation, homosexualities, transgenderism, and we all know this. And some people say, oh, Christians are so into those issues so much, and that's all you talk about, and that's how we got. And some Christian now tends to, because we are so, maybe so much being attacked by the, from the world, and we don't want to deal with it anymore, we don't want to talk about it anymore, we don't want to even say it anymore, or sometimes people try to also switch it, or try not switch it, try to compromise it. We need to be very careful about such things. The Bible said, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word. It's not really about our ways, our own thoughts, our own ideology, our own narratives. It's really about God's ways. God's word. Amen. Amen? Not only in those big issues that, that people tend to compromise the Word of God, well, what about your individual, individual life, our individual lives? When we are trying to live our Christian life, well, it's always a struggle between your ways, your will, your desire versus God's ways, God's will, and God's desire. Isn't it? In your personal walk with God. It's very difficult, and we want to sometimes give up. And you say, oh, God would understand. Oh, it's, not, it's okay not to, to come together, in, uh, gather together as one body of Christ. God will understand. And 
people are saying, oh, it's okay. Nowadays, we have a technologies and we can try to, uh, try to, you know, have a, the streaming services where people can be conveniently involved in the worship. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not against the technology, nor we are actually using it. We are doing the streaming for those who couldn't be here today. But I cannot say that the, the word of God is very clear. I cannot say that, that we are not supposed to. We, we don't have to meet in person gathering for the worship. Because the Bible is very clear about that. But I already told you this previously, but some of the prominent, prominent the, the leaders, the Christian leaders were actually saying that Jesus never commands us to gather. What are you talking about? We don't have to really gather anymore. People say such things. And they are, there has been some, some kind of debate amongst Christian leaders today. That what kind of church are we going to have in the future? Are we going to actually gather around? And I know that because of the COVID situation, we are being careful. And I know that the, 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 I thank God for the, the technology that is provided for us that we will be able to connect to people. But my concern is that the, if we are so used to this the way of life and this convenient way of gathering or worshiping God, then we might not really we might really forget even after all these things are subsided. We might not even a lot of people will probably will not even want to meet anymore. And that is my concern. What about after pandemic or after COVID? What will happen? People will continue to meet or people will just be so used to what we are doing through streaming. Oh, as long as I can just be part of the service through watching. Well, that's a very limited way of worshiping God. The Bible has a reason for gathering. We need to do our best to gather as much as we can. So to fully experience the power of worship in the very presence of God amongst God's people. Amen. Very important. Again, we cannot compromise that. We need to humbly accept that. Whether we say, oh, no, you are just being culturally irrelevant. You're just being old school. You are just being so traditional. People will use that kind of words, but certain things we cannot compromise. We cannot outsmart God's word. Amen. In your own life also, when you are dealing with people and we're dealing with different issues, a lot of times, depending upon the issues and depending upon the circumstances, we tend to what? Compromise God's word. We don't want to obey God's word. We want to do our own thing, own ways. Because it doesn't make sense to a lot of us. I know. And some people say, oh, it's an ancient script. How can it be relevant? But that relevance of the Bible, I've been preaching about that previously. Uh, you, we can talk about that in the future even more if you like to. It's so powerful, so relevant, and so beyond the time. The Word of God is, is clear. But one thing, my brothers and sisters, a lot of times when we do not obey God, we literally deceive ourselves, uh, and we think we can outsmart God. And that's why we get into so many different troubles. Humbly accept the Word. Simple obedience in humility. 
is something we must do if we trust that God's word is true. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, simply obey. <laughs> Secondly, as we trust that God's word is profitable, it's useful, useful for our equipping, our obedience requires ongoing action. If you believe that. He said, do not merely listen to the word, James chapter 1, verse 22, and so deceive yourselves. If you just listen, you deceive yourselves. He says, do what he says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what he says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Well, do you know the difference between the listening and hearing? The listening is what? More like a physiological action. Like you listen through your ear, through your eardrum, and there's a system, right, that you go through and you listen to someone. Hearing is more so as you listen physiologically, you mentally, you internalize it, right? Hear my word, meaning internalize what you are listening, what you are hearing. Don't just physically listen, but mentally register it internalizing it. If you just listen, you are listening right now, listening to the sermon that I'm speaking to you, the Word of God. You can be just listening physiologically, not internalizing it and go home and do nothing about it. That's listening. He said, do not merely listen like that. Meaning internalize. When you internalize and hear the Word and internalize it, guess what? You Bring it to action. Not only you remember, you actually commit yourself to act upon it. That's what James is talking about here. Internalizing in your mind, in your heart, that comes out naturally in your action. It's not just simple listening and acting. It's hearing, internalizing. As the power, power of God, as you internalize, what happened? The Holy Spirit transforms you. And as internalization of the Word of God switch to the transformation of the Spirit, the action comes very naturally. The problem of a lot of Christians is that we just physiologically listen. We don't internalize it. Therefore, what happens? We can never experience the power of the Word of God transforming our spirit. That's why there's no action. You understand? That's why everyone can come and listen to the word that is being preached right now. And however, each one of you have a different effect in your life. Some of you takes it, internalize it, meditate upon it. And through that process, the Holy Spirit takes over transforms your spirit, transform your mind, your perception, way that you speak, and then you start it to naturally flow out of you, meaning you act upon what you have heard. Then you will experience the power of God, and you'll be able to thrive in your life. Those who just come every single week, internal, not without internalization, just physiologically listening, no change in your life. 
people say then, oh, the Word of God is not powerful. You blame something else. Oh, this church is not good. I want to go to the church that have a better program, a better way of communicating. People say that to me all the time. And sometimes it is hurtful as a, as a pastor, as a preacher to hear the, such things. But you know what? No, don't mind anymore. Because at the end, it is the God who transformed you. At the end, God who changes us. Amen. At the end, it's God's work, not my work. But if we trust that God's word is profitable, we need to uh, obey in our action. Our obedience requires action. See, disobedience is a self-deception. It's, it's, it's generated by self-deception. Why do we not obey? Because why do we not internalize the word? Because we don't think it is profitable or it is powerful. We think it's just perhaps psychological clutch or just feel good. That's why people go to churches that makes you feel good, feel important, or feel, oh, you are getting something. But I tell you, without the internalization of the Word of God in your mind and heart, there will be no change. I don't care who preacher, who is the preacher. I don't care if you are reading thousands of pages of the Bible. If you just merely listen to the Word without internalizing the Word and applying it into your life, I am telling you, you will not, even all those years of Christian life, you will not be able to overcome the struggles in your life. No, you will not be able to witness any changes in your life. And guess what? But we continue to deceive ourselves, just saying that, oh, as long as I can go to this revival meeting, and somehow I'm going to be changed. Don't get me wrong, I love revivals, I love retreats, and we should all go. You know why? It gives us an opportunity for us to what? Receive the Word so that we can be changed and transformed, right? Very important. But know that just by the fact that you are going, and fact that who is speaking, it does not going to make any actual difference in your life unless you humbly accept the Word and believe that the Word of God is profitable, that you actually Apply those words into your own life in action. So don't deceive yourself thinking that just because you're sitting here today that you will be all right. Don't deceive yourself thinking that because you've been Christian for many, many, many years and you are reading the scripture every single day that somehow that you will be able to thrive and experience the changes. No. James says, no, do not merely listen. Then deceive yourselves. Do it. What? Do what he says. Let it naturally come out of you as you take it seriously, internalize it. Amen. Thirdly, third response that we must do. If and as we trust God's word is empowering, our obedience results in what? Receiving blessings. Oh, here comes blessings. And everyone likes to hear this. But there is, in a way, condition to our blessing. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, 
they will be blessed in what they do. Meaning, without the relationship with Christ, without sticking with God, without connecting to God, there is no thriving, there is no prosperity. The word prosperity, I've been defining this over and over and over again. I'm not only talking about the material blessings here, right? I hope you understand that. The prosperity, true prosperity is that God is being with you. That your life is so saturated by Christ that whatever you do, you do it with the mind of Christ and you do it for Christ as an extension of His grace, an extension of His hand, that you become part of Him, that you become partners with Christ in His work and you become His children in your personal relationship with Christ. I'm talking about that whole mechanism. I'm talking about that whole relationship. That is a blessing. The imagery of the blessings in the Old Testament, I told you this over and over again, is this, that you see the throne, before the throne of the king, you kneel before God humbly in obedience. That is a picture of blessing. And then the blessing of the king, the blessing of the throne of God flows upon you. Amen? So there got to be obedience. Even as Christians who are blessed, we are positionally blessed, by the way. Why? Because of Christ, Jesus Christ, right? What He has done for us. Positionally now, we are the children and the, the sons and daughters of Christ, of God. And we can call our God, Father, Abba, Daddy. We can call Him Daddy. Imagine. I, don't, I cannot call my dad Daddy. I call him Father. But I don't know. Maybe it's culturally I can't. But when my daughters, I hope that they will continue to be called daddy or dad when they grow older. If they call, start calling me father, I don't know what I will say. But anyway, that intimate relationship, that, that, that you love them so much and you, they love you so much that they want to be with you. They want to listen to you. They want to, what? Do everything, do everything together with you. That's the picture. That's the obedience. I want to do whatever that God wants me to do. I want to stick with Him. I want to listen to Him. I want to do what He tells me to do. And I want to follow His ways. I, don't want, I want to be like Him. I want to just be, act like Him. And that's the picture of blessing. And when we have in that kind of relationship, well, we receive the blessings of God. Whatever you do, you will thrive, the God says. God will be with you, then who can be against you? I mean, look at the, all the, the, the saints in the Bible. They were imperfect people just like us. They make so many mistakes, remember? Right? For instance, Joseph. Joseph was bragger, remember? He bragged. He did not know how to relate to his brothers. Right? He was like, oh, I'm better than you. I had a dream that you were all going to serve me. <laughs> Come on. That guy didn't know how to how to, uh, to, to respect other brothers, especially older brothers. But what happened to him? Obviously, we know this imperfect Joseph went to jail at the end, right? The, sold into slavery and went to jail. But the pretty thing about it is he spent about in the, in the dungeon, ancient dungeon prison is not the same prison idea as here, okay? So if you're thinking about the prison break, that's not the same thing. It's worse than what we see in TV. 
It's, it's just beyond. It's unlivable. Like a, you live like an animal, basically, in a dungeon in the ancient time. Okay? Two years he spent time there. But the amazing thing about Joseph's life was God was with them and blessed him. That the favor was upon him that even in the prison, he had a favor from the prison guard. He became a leader amongst the prisoners. Everywhere he went, as a slave, God blessed him. Point is, did God take away the prison imprisonment right away? Did God take away the slavery right away? He spent a lot of years as a, as a particle slave, remember? Right? Did he just, God's blessing somehow extended that he just rescued the Joseph out of those kind of circumstances and situation? No. Eventually, yes. But he had to go through that. But the amazing thing was that God, whether is in prison, whether is in slavery, God was with Joseph. And that made a difference in his life. There was a blessings and blessing in whatever he did was a blessing. Whatever he touched thrived. That's why Potiphar became very, very powerful man in, in the Egypt during the time. Not just because of Potiphar was a great man. He had a great slave named Joseph. And God blessed the household of Potiphar because of Joseph was there. You see? Whatever we do, we will thrive in that sense. I know the Lord might not take away all the crises of our nation right away, of your own life right away. But as you trust God, as you believe that God is empower, God's word is empowering and transforming in your life, as you simply obey, you will receive God's blessing. He'll teach you step by step one by one, and eventually certain problems and struggles and issues or whatever you name it, circumstances, the Lord will help us to navigate through. And one day, we will, you will, in this lifetime, this year, 2021, by faith, let us believe that we will be free. We will be free from such things. Amen? Why? He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives what? What? Freedom. Freedom from the sinful struggles. Freedom from habitual sins that we've been always struggling with. Even now. Freedom from all the financial trouble. Freedom from some of the issues that you are facing. The relationship problems. As you intently look into the perfect law, the Word of God, and obey, continues to in it, it will give us freedom. It will give us life. It will give us blessing. And that is a perfect picture of blessing. Amen? The blessing is not the absence of troubles and problems. The idea of blessing is the very presence of God in your life with you. Amen? Great thing about God is that He doesn't leave you nor forsake you. He actually goes through things with you. 
even in your sin. A lot of us, we will struggle with sin and in our flesh. We'll fail over and over again. And oh, but I tell you, God does not leave you from your spirit. Can you imagine as God residing within our spirit, but we still struggle with our sin, right? In our thoughts, in our flesh. We, we struggle with sin. Can you imagine God, in a way, experiencing with you all the things that are happening in your life, in your mind? Right? Yet God says, no, I shall be with you. That is the amazing thing about it, right? God decides to reside in you no matter what you do, what you are going to do, what you have went through. God still loves you. And He says, just because you believed in me that I enter into your life, into your spirit, literally entering into your spirit, I will reside within you and I will never leave you nor forsake you until the very end. Even if you fail to, to, be, to the, your habitual sin and all the struggles that you face, even if you make grievous mistakes in your relationship, even if you make grievous problems and cause a lot of havoc in your own life, He will never leave you. He will go through with you. He will lead you and guide you. Even that, even the, after the grievous mistake and sin, sinful decision that you have made, when you come back and repent to God and say, Lord, please forgive me. Help me to overcome. He will give you that grace. See, that is amazing to me. He doesn't give up on us. We may give up on Him many times. We want to give up on Him many times. I felt like in my own personal life, so many times I gave up on God. God is not going to work. God, oh my goodness. Oh God, this is not going to work. God, I'm never going to be able to flee from these problems. But retrospect, in retrospect, looking to back, back in my life, the Lord was so faithful. And I thank God He doesn't leave me alone, especially during those hard times. Right? Imagine. You know those people who actually take their own life? I understand. You can be so stressed and so pressured and so down and downcast and discouraged and depressed. And probably with the influence of all the evil spirits trying to take your life. It is very tempting, I'm sure. By the way, suicide... Temptation of the suicide is not is actually a very real thing in the Christendom. A lot of Christians think about suicide. By the way, you'll be very surprised. I'm talking about also the pastors and ministers. Imagine if God was never, if he was not with you to go through those kind of hard times. You have to kind of navigate your own life and bring, find out and discover your own solution in your life, oh man, you will be so alone, right? So lonely. I don't know how you are going to get through. So I think about non-Christian friends. Man, they are. They have to go through everything on their own. 
They have to find their solution. They have to prepare for the way in the future, right? I understand why non-Christian people, they're so crazy about money and security. Man, I have to make it. Before, before 40, I'm going re- to have a couple millions and multi-millions so I don't have to worry about in the future. People talk about that. A lot of my friends, by the way, they're very being successful. And my, given my age, they're probably the prime. Right? And they don't understand how I navigate my life, how insecure financially I am for the future. <laughs> they go, how could you live like that? Why do you still be a pastor? You don't even get paid that well. People ask, constantly ask questions. But I always answer, no, 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 no. I'm probably more, I'm richer than you guys. Because my father is richer than you. See, I don't need to have millions of dollars in my bank account. But whenever I need it, the Lord will provide it. And I can testify before the Lord and before you, all my life, God has been so faithfully, abundantly providing all the things that I need. I might not have $1,000 suit, but I have a decent, nice suit that I really like. And I like things that I have. And our kids, they're enjoying the abundance of American life. I can never complain. And I know that whenever we need, God will bless us. God will bless us and God will provide the things that we need so that we will not lack anything to seek his righteousness and his kingdom. And he will be able to give us even more when we ask. And God's going to bless your life abundantly in that way. And imagine how your life will turn. Amen? See, I think, last but not least, as God is empowering, right, transforming so that we can do His work for God. And that's the blessing I said so far. Then I can conclude the greatest blessing, I think, is the participation in the kingdom work. Right? The greatest blessing is not just all. The salvation that I have in you. Yeah, that's given. That's the greatest thing, yes, I'm sure. But even beyond that, the greatest blessing is not just mere relationship with Christ that you have. Greatest blessing is that you can actually participate in what God is doing. Right? Based on that personal relationship. Think beyond that. Think beyond your own personal relationship with Christ. Think beyond that there is a kingdom partnership, meaning God says, not only I saved you, and then great, that's the greatest blessing, but I'm going to now go beyond. As through that personal relationship, I'm going to use you, your life, even your wealth, your children, your ability, everything of you, He's going to use you for His glory and especially in the, such a time as this in the last days, when things are all going crazy and chaotic and we are witnessing that, I think none of us will deny that. God says, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to raise your life. And I'm going to show the world that I am real. Amen. 
What's the greatest blessing in your life that, that we are called to participate in His work, in His kingdom work? That God, you can actually use my life. You can actually use my smile, use my relationship, use my words to speak truth and life into someone's life? Really? You can use my life to transform someone? Right? You can actually touch someone. You can actually encourage someone, empower someone. You can use my prayer to bless my children and beyond. My friends and beyond. And we are partners of Christ. Right? I think that is the greatest blessing, don't you think? Not just you are saved, thank God. Yes, we are saved, but beyond. He said, now you're a partner. That's why Jesus said, remember, in John chapter 15, I no longer call you what? Servant. I'm going to call you my friend. What does it mean? Servant does not know the master's business. But friends, you know, meaning I will make you my partner. Hey, would you be my partner? You're not just my employee. Can you imagine in your corporate, if you're in the corporate world, the CEO or the owner who comes in, chairman comes in and says, you know what, from now on, I'm going to actually, you're not going to be just my employee. You are going to be my partner. Wow, right? Meaning we're equal, right? Jesus said that right before he left to crucifixion. He said, I no longer call you servants. I'm going to call you my friend. Would you be my partner? Would you involve in my business? Business of what? Protesting? No. Business of going crazy? No. Business of changing the lives of people. Expecting the kingdom of, expanding the kingdom of God. Amen. That's what he is about. And he says, you can be with me in this. I don't know what kind of blessing that you want, but that's the, probably the greatest blessing that you can ever experience. That you can share the crown of glory with Christ. And that's what he says in the revelations. That's how he describes it. At the end, he will give us the crown of his own glory to us. But in response to that, in humbly, what do we do? We lay down all our crowns and fully worship Him and glorify Him. That is a perfect picture of relationship with Christ and with God and perfect picture of worship. And we are walking toward that every day. Amen. We will thrive this year as we obey the principles of Christ, the Word of God. May we never never detach ourselves from his word but may we continue to be saturated in his word so that we can thrive for his glory may the lord bless all of us amen let's pray 